Uh, no, it's called social equity. Yeah, mark that. Social equity, all you liberals in the Silicon Valley. Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. It's the Brian Sussman Show, episode number 167. We're into our Skyjacked series. This will be part 14 of that. I've got to talk about the news of the day. <laughs> but before we do any of that, my website, briansussman.com. My Facebook page is Brian Sussman Show. I do encourage you to please just take a moment, even while you're listening, go to my Facebook page, Brian Sussman Show. Like it, follow it. Super important. I'm writing another book, and publishers like to see your social media tribes. And of course, as I've discussed before, I've been kicked off so many social media platforms. And we have the Instagram page, Brian Sussman Show, for daily doses of inspiration. And I encourage you to follow that as well. So the daily news, I, <laughs> the news yesterday, big tech conducts mass layoffs while importing 34,000 foreign H-1B workers to take American jobs. That's called social equity. All of you liberals in the Silicon Valley who work for tech, your friends have been laid off. Maybe you've been laid off. There are all these job openings that other companies are, are, are pine, they're pining for talent. These aren't labor jobs. These are, these are tech jobs, engineering jobs, good paying jobs. You just got passed over in the name of social equity because they're hiring from outside the country. Oh, I forgot. Those people take a little less money too. Gee, isn't that something that uh, Karl Marx decried? It's called, it's called labor capitalism. <laughs> Deal with it, friends. Deal with it. It's the real world. Maybe you should think about switching ideologies. Okay, then we have Biden landing in Belfast yesterday, promising to preserve the peace in Northern Ireland. At Northern Ireland. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, this has got to be an embarrassment for Democrats. Seriously, it has to be an embarrassment. But by and large, they just keep it zipped. I mean, talk about their mouths. They just keep their mouths zipped. Not going to say anything about that. Bud Light, uh, the beer boycott over Bud Light because they had the trans star. Bud Light had the trans star fronting their beer. You, you know, this is something marketeers these days, in their effort to be woke, they're forgetting the first rule of marketing and advertising. The first rule of media at large. Know your audience. The Bud Light beer crowd ain't, ain't that, okay? It's, this is supposed to be football and baseball and apple pie and Second Amendment. You blew it, man. Here's one for you. This is a guy I really enjoy, Stephen A. Smith on ESPN. I, I love watching his program. He's very entertaining, and he's super smart, and he, he knows his sports. But the thing I like about him is he's willing to say what's on his mind. And, oh, did he say what was on his mind? He says he knows Donald Trump. He says Donald Trump's not a racist. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Trans mob at, uh, at, uh, at, at, at SUNY, you know, New York University. Um, trans mob at uh, SUNY Buffalo, State University of New York. Uh, in Buffalo, compares Riley Gaines to the evil clown from it. Do you know who Riley Gaines is? She's this awesome swimmer. And she said, listen, I'm not for trans 
men or men who are transitioning to women competing in NCAA sports because I can't beat them. Listen, I saw an interview with (laughs) Bruce Jenner. I can't remember the name he goes by now, but whatever it is, Jenner, uh, Bruce was saying, and he was in you know for full female garb, and this guy's been jacked up on female hormones for years now. I watched him. You can probably find it on YouTube. He's in an interview saying, here's the deal. I've been jacked up on female hormones for years in my transition, but I could still outdrive any woman on the LPGA tour. Okay, that's... That's Bruce Jenner. And then you have the middle school in, where was this middle school? It was in, I think, Hoboken, New Jersey, announcing it's going to fly the trans pride flag year round. Well, that's called brainwashing. So with that in mind, as long as we're talking about brainwashing, let's get into Skyjack Part 14. The brainwashing in terms of the green movement, the climate change agenda, began with Earth Day in 1970. The very first Earth Day, I was there, April 22nd. I wrote about this in ClimateGate extensively. Others had written about it prior to that, but I think I was the first one to give you a very complete story, which I shared in the last episode. That would be Skyjacked Part 13. But the date of Earth Day, April 22nd, this was not an accident. This was the 100th anniversary of the birth of Vladimir Lenin. That's what April 22nd was all about. Now, I realize, to my knowledge, all of the founders of Earth Day, who I described, told you all about them in the last episode, um, none of them have ever acknowledged that they chose that date for that reason, but as I've also written about extensively, Vladimir Lenin was was an environmentalist's environmentalist. He wrote long, extensive, detailed papers on the environment. And his point was, as a communist thinker, as a socialist thinker, as a Marxist thinker, his thought was, No human being has a right to own or make any money off of property, physical property. No no human being has a right to own property, physical property. I'm talking about land in this case. And no one has the right to make any money off of land. And so he basically closed down all of the land in Russia under penalty of law, including imprisonment, and people were starving to death. They did not, they needed to hunt for food. They needed firewood for, for their stoves and fireplaces. He wouldn't let them have it. He put bodies of water off limits. This guy was crazy. But the environmentalists love him because the hardcore environmentalists to this day are cut from Marxist cloth. And they really and truly believe that no human being should be allowed to own physical property and They also believe no human being should be allowed to make money off of physical property. Now, the Marxists also believe something else. You don't have a right to the property even between your ears, you know, intellectual property. That's not yours. And therefore, they can demand what you think. 
Therefore, they can outlaw things like religion. So here we have Earth Day, 22nd of April, 1970, 100th anniversary of Vladimir Lenin. The murderous communist who would have been 100 years of age, selecting that date to celebrate Earth Day, not a coincidence. Again, he had unrestricted devotion to nature, even at the expense of people, his own people, who he was in charge of. He was the first environmentalist and the first Marxist to ever get hold of a country. And he ruined it because that's what socialism and, and communism always does. It ruins everything it touches. It kills people. Those who are um, uneducated, uneducated, unable to be educated. (laughs) What do you do with them? Okay, right. Curtains. Lenin also perceived government-run education as the most efficient means of indoctrination. There's a famous quote attributed to Lenin that says, give us the child for eight years, and it will be a Bolshevik forever, a communist socialist forever. And so, of course, the founders of Earth Day saw in Lenin something very special, hardcore environmentalist, Marxist, and understood that government-run education was the greatest way to indoctrinate. You see, Earth Day has never been a celebration of the beauty and bounty of this awesome terrestrial ball which we have been blessed with, it has always been an assault on mankind. During the first decade of Earth Day observances, it was people, the polluters. People, the polluters. That was in the 70s. By the 80s, the events organizers cast mankind as the tree killer. By the 90s, it was the species annihilator. And then, then finally, global warming and climate change took hold. And man alive, once that started happening, the sky above provided compatriots at the Earth Day headquarters and their fellow progressives with the ultimate stratagem to push society towards a global socialist reset. Humans are rapidly destroying the entire planet's atmosphere. And there you go. There's your Earth Day. But what are they destroying it with? What are they destroying it with? Well, carbon dioxide. Yeah, the burning of fossil fuels. It's what I've referred to in the past as a designer pollutant. So let's talk about that now as we continue in this episode of The Brian Sussman Show. In the run-up to the first Earth Day, the newly inaugurated President of the United States, Richard Nixon, Tricky Dick, as we used to call him back then, Republican, of course, visited the beaches of Santa Barbara for a first-hand look at the aforementioned oil spill. I talked about this in the last podcast. A hundred yards away from the president and the, the cameras, there were all these people chanting, get oil out, get oil out. You could see him in the background as, as, as Nixon is speaking to the reporters. Nixon said to them, I don't think we have paid enough attention to this. We are going to do a better job than we have done in the past. Now, the ecology activists, they weren't really called environmentalists back then. They were called ecologists, ecology activists. They were skeptical 
of this new president's assurances, and rightly so. Nixon had no record on the environment. Very few did. He never highlighted the issue during his campaign to become president. When he was governor of California, he never really talked about it. Although, I take that back. He did, because during his tenure, Nixon, maybe not. Nixon or Reagan? It's either during Nixon's run or Reagan's run. There were a lot of measures taken to reduce, you know, real thick particulate from the atmosphere in California. And, and, and it, was, it was done properly, done well. As I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I remember growing up in Los Angeles, the air was so bad when I was a little kid. I remember having an asthma attack at a pool. And, uh, you know, I'm playing around in a pool. I'm, I don't know, four or five years old, something like that. Playing around in a pool, and suddenly I couldn't breathe. And I remember my dad had to jump in and pull me out. That's how bad the air was. It was awful. But again, Nixon was a politician. He recognized the political power of this new popular green movement. And so over the next few years, he would propose and, and accomplish an ambitious and expensive pollution-fighting agenda to Congress. And that became, so this was Nixon's idea, the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA. That was his idea. It was the first of its kind in terms of a bureaucracy that would protect the environment. First of its kind in any representative democracy. And again, working through a a reorganization plan rather than legislation, because Nixon said, "We, we can do this, we don't need legislation, and there's a simple way to do this. He consolidated some 44 different government offices that had something to do with the environment. So he combined all these and said, okay, now we are going to treat, these are his words, air pollution, water pollution, and solid wastes as different forms of a single problem. So air pollution, water pollution, solid waste, we're going to deal with all of this. Next came the Clean Air Act. Now, I think initially the foundings of the EPA were rather innocent. And the same thing with the Clean Air Act. I mean, who's not for clean air? The Clean Air Act gave the EPA authority to set standards for outdoor air quality. And there was a great need for it at the time. Again, states were able to do some of this on their own, but the the thing is about, obviously, pollution, it is interstate. Um... Here in California, we don't have interstate pollution. It's whatever pollution we might have in the sky comes from California. Uh, Nevada's pretty far away. Oregon's pretty far away, so to speak. I mean, it's a big state. And with prevailing westerly winds, you know, anything on the West Coast is going to be going east. But where the states are packed closely together, I'm thinking of the tri-state area of New York, for example. Uh, In the tri-state area... If New Jersey's polluting like crazy, New York's going to get it. Do you see what I'm saying? So this was a way to set standards for outdoor air quality and the amount of pollution individual industries might emit. And the measure also established enforceable emission standards for cars. But while there were good intentions, friends, everyone here, even 
a liberal curiously listening to this program, you all know that there is the slippery slope. You give people an inch, they end up taking a yard. And that's what's happened with the Clean Air Act. It went out of control. The EPA has gone out of control. In an address to Congress in February 1973, Nixon declared the environmental crisis was over. So he established all this in 1973 years later. He said, okay, we did it. Here's his quote. I can report to Congress that we are well on our way to winning the war with environmental degradation, well on our way to making peace with nature. That's what he said. You know, again, in many ways he was correct. I hearken back to my youth in the 60s. The smog was so bad, it was unusual to see the nearby San Gabriel Mountains. The San Gabriel Mountains just east of Los Angeles are 7,000 feet tall. You couldn't see them. Air quality was so bad in the nation's big cities like L.A., Chicago, New York, sometimes taking that deep breath would literally hurt. Just ask an old-timer. All these years later, though, all these years later, think about this. Millions more residents, tens of millions more residents in the United States of America. Millions more vehicles, millions more homes, millions more businesses. Thanks to that Clean Air Act that Nixon put, uh, that Nixon helped enact, nearly 70% of the total emissions of six major pollutants, carbon monoxide, lead, ground-level ozone, nitrogen dioxide, particulate matter, and sulfur dioxide have all notably decreased. So since the 60s, with all this industrialization, with all this population, with all the vehicles, all the trucks, all the trains, all the planes, all the homes, all the businesses, our skies are cleaner than they were in the 70s. So yeah, hey, we can do this. The skies are not filthy like they once were. Now, did you notice something missing on that list of atmospheric poisons? Well, of course you do. There's one chemical compound not mentioned because it was originally never considered harmful to health. It's carbon dioxide, today's designer pollutant. Designer pollutant. So let me give you a little carbon dioxide 101. Do we have time for this? Let me look at the clock. I usually, yeah, okay, we do. We have time. We have time. Carbon dioxide is a molecule made up of one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms, CO2, okay? Carbon, two oxygen. Now, first a bit about carbon. It is the chemical, please hear me on this, please, if you're going to remember one thing from this podcast, it's this. Carbon is the chemical backbone of all life on Earth. It's also critical to note that all of the carbon we currently have on Earth is the same amount we've always had. There is no more, there is no less. It's just like water. There's only so much water on the planet. Some of that water is, you know, in, in bodies of water, oceans, lakes, etc. Some of it, it has, is, is in the atmosphere. It's invisible and then it precipitates. Some of it's underground. There's a water cycle constantly occurring. It's the same thing with carbon dioxide. 
most carbon, or, well, it's the same thing with carbon. It's, it's in various forms. Most carbon is in rocks and sediments. That's where most carbon is stored. A lot of it's stored in the ocean. Much of it's stored, or a little bit of it, stored in the atmosphere. Living organisms. I mean, your body is, there's lots of carbon in your body. These are reservoirs or sinks, carbon sinks as we like to call them, through which the carbon is constantly cycling. You see, the ocean is a giant carbon sink that's always absorbing carbon. If you wonder why two-thirds of the planet is, is ocean, there's a good reason for that. Because the ocean is constantly absorbing the carbon from the atmosphere. I, you know, God made this thing perfectly. Marine organisms, from marsh plants to fish, from seaweed to birds, also produce carbon through their living process and their dying process. Over time, dead organisms can become fossil fuel. Carbon is found in our atmosphere in the form of, well, you guessed it, CO2. So just like precipitation is found in the atmosphere as water vapor, carbon is found in our atmosphere in the form of CO2. Humans and animals breathe in oxygen and exhale CO2. Plant life absorbs CO2 and emits oxygen. It's a beautiful thing. It's this wonderful symbiotic relationship. The carbon cycle, it allows for the reuse of carbon atoms, which travel from the atmosphere into organisms on the earth and beneath the oceans, and then over time, back into the atmosphere over and over and over again. Now, Atmospheric CO2 absorbs heat, which is required to maintain our planet's unique greenhouse effect, keeping our ambient air temperature in check. Without this greenhouse effect, Earth's diurnal, or diurnal temperature swings, so that's night and day. Earth's diurnal temperature swings would wildly vary 100 degrees between night and day like they do on other planets. But because of the greenhouse effect, there's, there's some uniformity. It's not crazy swings like that which would make the planet uninhabitable. When humans utilize fossil fuels for energy, carbon dioxide, so okay, you're, you're in your car, you're driving. You turn on the heat in your house, a portion of that energy is coming from natural gas. Okay, carbon dioxide is, fossil fuels are being burned carbon dioxide is being released back into the atmosphere. The carbon cycle is just continuing. The use of fossil fuels just becomes a part of the carbon cycle. Now, this is where climate activists will stop the conversation. People will stop me right here and say, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, mister. Oh, really? They will insist that the increased use of fossil fuels increases the greenhouse effect. See, we've got all these cars. They're burning gas and diesel. All these houses, natural gas, planes, trains. 
burning fossil fuels, throwing, spewing CO2 into the atmosphere. That's what they say, spewing. And they will, they will insist that the increased use of fossil fuels increases the greenhouse effect, thus trapping an overabundance of heat within the atmosphere, and thus artificially warming the planet and throwing the climate out of whack. Now, I'm going to address this in the very next podcast. We're going to talk about greenhouse gases. We're going to talk about some controversy because I want you to know the truth because uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Beautiful Bible verse. It's true in the Bible and it's true for this topic as well. So that's where we're going to go. Really appreciate you. Went a little bit long. BrianSussman.com is my website. My Facebook page, please follow me uh, and like. That's Brian Sussman Show. And for daily doses of inspiration, it's my Instagram feed, Brian Sussman Show as well. Looking forward to tomorrow's podcast. Thanks for joining me. God bless you, my friends.